at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast. I am your host, Dominic Lanza, and tonight I am joined by the one and only E.J. Fagan. Happy Game 7 Day, Dominic. Happy Game 7 Day to you as well. I am glad that we have a Game 7 because it's a hell of a lot of fun, and I'm glad that the Yankees aren't in it because I probably would have thrown up already. Yeah, so we're recording this um, an hour before the game starts, so by the time you listen to this, it will almost certainly at least be underway, if not finished. Um, so congratulations on breaking the curse. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much the only real baseball news going on right now, unless you want to talk about the sad revelations with Jose Fernandez or the sad revelations with uh, Yuri's Familia of the Mets kickstarting our offseason of domestic violence early. Yeah, I don't want to talk about either of those, but I do have something. I, I do have a quick thing I'd love to ask you about. A Rod is amazing. Um, I think A Rod is one of my instantly one of my favorite baseball commentators on on TV at this point, and especially really do love the team that they have him you know, surrounding him. The one of the reasons why Barry Bonds, despite being amazing, um, was hurt so badly by steroids is that everybody in baseball hates him. Uh-huh. And I, I think like five years ago, everybody in baseball hated Alex Rodriguez. But now, like, the baseball media specifically is going to love Alex Rodriguez. So does this improve his chances that he gets in on, like, the 10th ballot 15 years from now? I think his chances were always a little bit better than Barry Bonds's because yeah, he has the separation between um, – just he has the separation of, like, a decade in hitting the actual ballot. And we've talked before about how opinions are sure to evolve over time just because – you know, a lot of these stodgy old baseball writers are either losing their ballots or dying, as much as I hate to be blunt like that. They, no, it's like Supreme Court justices. It's okay. Yeah, they're they're going away, and that's going to help. I mean, this now, it's it's actually kind of amazing. There was an article on uh, SportsIllustrated.com, I think yesterday, about how Alex Rodriguez is a breakout star, and it's the biggest part of his redemption tour according to usa today and yeah i mean people are learning that he's just far more not just smart i don't think anybody ever questioned how smart he was except for people saying how stupid can you be to get caught with steroids but he's just so jovial he's so fun and outgoing he has just so much charisma that we never really saw and i think people are more forgiving of players who are like that i think that's why that's hurt, you know, Roger Clemens, who is always viewed as kind of a dick. And Mike Piazza, with no steroid proof whatsoever, was held up on the ballot because a lot of people thought he was a dick. Whereas Frank Thomas, who we talked about, who is built like a defensive end because he literally was a defensive end, flew in. And it's because of these extenuating circumstances that don't have anything to do with what they actually did on the field. And Rodriguez 
has nothing but good really since he came back in 2015. I um have I ever told you my my Roger Clemens conspiracy theory? No. Sure. So Clemens like like 7 or 8 years ago, the year before he was about to go on the ballot, was like working out with Double A Corpus Crispy for some reason. And Clemens owns Double A Corpus Crispy Crispy. Uh, Christy and you know his his kids go to the University of Texas. He's around a baseball team all the time, and he was just throwing. And all of a sudden, he, he just was throwing for a while and decided to play a couple of AAA games. And the Astros were in last place, and um, and I realized like, wait a second, if Roger Clemens pitches one game for the Astros in September, this you know one hundred fifteen loss team in September, Roger Clemens gets to push back his Hall of Fame clock five years. And I really thought that's what he was doing. I, I, I wrote a blog post. I think it was on our blog. It might have been one of the predecessors to our blog, um, uh, uh, you know, al- along those lines. And it got picked up by MLB tr- trade rumors. So there's this like <laughs> little like, mini, like, is Clemens trying to delay his Hall of Fame clock kind of thing? Um, and it turns out that he wasn't, and I was just kind of making crap up. But, um, but, it, it, but Clemens could have strategically pushed back his Hall of Fame clock and really gotten a shot at the Hall of Fame. Now he's not going to make it. Yeah, I do actually remember that. I think it was for us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually surprised that we haven't seen more players do that. Um, some people said the same thing about Andy Pettit when he came back. And, I mean, I think Andy Pettit was borderline to begin with, so I think he's kind of screwed regardless. But um, I, I think that has to be on some players' conscious right now. The problem is that the opportunity doesn't really exist for it. Like, Clemens is like a bit of a freak of nature. Um, and, you know, and the fact that he owned the baseball team he was working out with and, you know, uh, the Astros were so terrible, like the stars were aligning for it to happen, but it, it didn't. And yeah, I think I also don't think Pettit is really being penalized all that heavily by his, um, by his like, like very, very slight steroid record. No. And like I said, he was also, Andy Pettit was always a borderline case. So I don't know how much he could really help or hurt himself. We should, we should talk about Yankees who aren't in the hall of fame one day and who, who should be in the hall of fame. I like that. It's a good podcast. I like that too. I think we should maybe do that this off season just because sounds, sounds like a, like a mid January podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess getting onto things that are a little bit more topical, um, the negotiations for the collective bargaining agreement are going on right now. And nobody thinks there's, going to be any real issues. Um, And there's a bunch of things going on that either don't affect what the Yankees are doing on the field or tangentially affect what they do on the field. Um, And then there's something that affects every team equally, but it could be interesting the way it pertains to the Yankees. And that's the fact that they're talking about uh, expanding the 25-man roster to a 26-man roster, which is something that should be appealing to the players association because it gets another guaranteed salary on the roster and more service time and everything. And I think it could be appealing to major league baseball too, because it should ostensibly need lead to a better product on the field because players can be more rested. And I mean, for all we know, 28 of the 30 teams will end up putting an extra loogie on the roster and it won't really matter for anything, but there could be a good bit of strategy there. And EJ, you had some ideas about how this could have helped the Yankees this year and who that player could or should be. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, the Yankees this year had the DH problem, right? So they, 
one reason they had to cut Alex Rodriguez when they did was they they were trying to call up a whole bunch of people. And so I definitely think that a DH only type is much easier to carry on a 26 man roster. Um, because the, you know, if you think about right now, the, the current kind of roster construction, um, you know, you end up with, uh, you know, nine everyday players on average and then three or four, I mean, four usually, but now sometimes even three, um, position players. And that means that your position players kind of have to be like hyper defensively flexible. So you need to have the shortstop, you need to have the catcher, you need to have all of those. And I think this kind of makes it like, I think that the the real extra value added from the 26-man spot is to allow teams to go back to a five-man bench um, without really you know impacting their pitching very much. I don't think they'll add an extra loogie because they've already added the extra loogie in recent years. Right, they're already they're already you know going out there with a with you know very very large bullpens, and there's real diminishing returns to that. Like so, if you think about the Yankees, if the Yankees had an could it could have added an extra relief pitcher this season, I don't know who they would have added. I mean, they're they're the back half of their bullpen was awful, um, and if the you know um, you know if, if Cleveland and 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 to a lesser extent Chicago tell us anything, it's that you what you want to do is you want to lean on the the better part of your bullpen, not the bad part of your bullpen. So I think, you know, if, if it's hard to look at the, at the Yankee 40 man roster right now and say, who's more likely, who'd be more likely to come up. But the Yankees really lacked a pinch runner last year. Um, like a, someone who could, um, you know, maybe be a defensive replacement in the outfield or something like that, but really who could, um, you know, be that strategic guy that you put, you know, you, you, you used a, a pinch run for Chase Headley or something. Excuse I, me. I already know who that player is. Who is who is that player? It's Tyler Wade. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, actually, yeah, he's in the that's Arizona a, Fall League year. right now. He's played every infield position and he's played the outfield. He was playing all over the infield during the season. He's I I can't remember right now, but I'm pretty. He was he made it to AAA this year, didn't he? Yeah, uh, I think very briefly. Or was it just an end of the season kind of triple A cup I of I think it was. If I, I'd have to look it up right now. But I mean, I, I think I think that's a good example. I mean, the, the Tyler Wade was already going to be kind of useful even under a twenty-five man roster because he's not a bad hitter. He can pinch run. He can play a lot of, uh, of defensive positions. Um, now he never actually made it to triple A last year. Um, but but yeah, but I, th- I think you're right. I think he's I think he's like one of your better one of your better candidates, but you know, also the Yankees have an off season to go out and get a Gerard Dyson type. Yeah. Somebody like that could have a lot of value. And, but I mean, Tyler Wade is somebody who is a competent defensive shortstop and has gotten pretty good reviews from his play all over the field in the Arizona fall league, which is a tremendous sample, a tremendously small sample size, I should say. Um, so I don't know how much you can glean from it, but a guy who's, a plus runner that plays good defense at shortstop, being able to play other positions really shouldn't shock anybody. And he's not a pinch runner in the mold of, you know, Gerard Dyson, but he has above average speed. He might have plus speed. So I, I think he's the type of player that could play that role. And the Yankees are obviously grooming him for a super utility role, like a like a Jerry Hairston Jr. type, I guess. Yeah, I, I think you're right, and I think that, that that's the type of player that could benefit from this. But I think you're also thinking a little bit small, right? So the Yankees have an advantage that they have money. Um, they they have the ability to pay a bench player $10 million if they want. And if they can carry that player, say, like a platoon bat, um, and they have that extra that extra roster spot, 
they can kind of leverage their payroll in a way that other players can't. Most teams are going to be adding a, a minimum salary player for you know with this extra twenty six you know twenty six men. I think the Yankees could add an Adam Lind, right? Or um, I mean, he's probably going to look for a full time job, but a Brandon Moss, so a player, someone like that to this roster. Um, and you know, there's lots of like aging, formerly okay defensive players who now really are just platoon bats that exist in baseball every year. And I think the Yankees should should offer like um, you know, like ten million dollars one year is one thing I'm thinking of. But really, I'm thinking about like that mid two thousands Yankee bench. You know, Ruben Sierra, and um, I'm trying to think of the other guys in the, on, on those benches that all hit like twenty home runs. Tony Clark. And you know that was a real that was a real like ex, like competitive advantage for the Yankees during that time. It was before it was essentially the same kind of situation where before you had the extra guy going to the bullpen, you had a five man bench, and the Yankees carried you know a backup outfielder, a backup infielder, a backup catcher, and but they also always had like that home run guy who could come off the bench and really hit you know and, and could really um, you know impact the late innings. And I think that's that's really what I would be would be aiming for. I wonder how practical that would be, though, because you don't really see too many players going jobless that I could see really fitting into that role, unless unless you're saying that, you know, they have that extra bench spot that would otherwise go to, you know, Tyler Wade, so then they could have that platoon DH on the bench, as opposed to the Yankees right now just offering somebody a very small role with a lot of money. A lot of those players, I think, would take a larger role for less money. Well, let's game it out. Let's say you have nine stars and you have five bench players. You know, and next season you've got your backup catcher. And I think it's actually some a, a conversation we can have maybe at a maybe tonight, maybe at a, at a later date of whether or not Brian McCann is you treat him like a backup catcher or whether you carry both McCann and and Austin Romine on the roster. But let's for a second say that let's just ignore McCann. Say that you have a backup catcher. Right, you have uh, let's say Tyler Wade, who backs up you know the the middle infield positions and maybe third base. Right, that's two. Then you have a backup outfielder. Uh, we'll call him Aaron Hicks, um, and then you have uh, two spots. Right now, this season, you know you had a, you would you, the Yankees carried somebody like Rob Refsnyder for one of those two spots, um, who kind of roamed around a little bit, hit okay, you know that that kind of player, and that that was it. Right, that that's that that was their bench. Um, whereas now you could carry a Rob Refsnyder, um, but you could also afford to carry like a Billy Butler full time, um, you know, who, who isn't playing, you know, who you don't plan to slot in every single day. And, you know, Billy Butler hits the crap out of lefties and, and, you know, that's, they picked him up, you know, during the 40 man roster expansion and used him there, but there's no reason they could do that. Um, otherwise, I mean, I'm looking at free agents. I'm looking at Pedro Alvarez, um, who basically signed that contract with the, with the Orioles this year. And, um, wasn't good at defense, um, but hit 249, 322, 504 this season. Um, I don't see any reason why they can't overpay for some kind of bench player to, to do that again. Well, I guess it just comes down to the the whole playing time aspect because Pedro Alvarez had almost 400 plate appearances this year. I'm just asking if, in your mind, these players that you're overpaying are getting that sort of playing time. I mean, the it's... It's an interesting question, right? So there, there are players like there. There's a player who 
is good enough that he doesn't want to take a bench spot. But like, think about like Adam Lind right now. Adam Lind can probably has like two choices at this point. No, three choices. One's Japan, but let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, Adam Lind can go and try to play for like the Marlins, and he'll or, or someone like that, and he'll get a full time job. And um, you know, he he'll, he may have some platoons, uh, some platooning, but for the most part, you know, he'll get four hundred, five hundred play appearances if he stays healthy. Um, and they'll pay him what? $5 million to do that, something like that. Um, or, or they can go for the Yankees and the Yankees could say, Hey, I'll play, pay you a premium and you're not going to get a, you're not going to get any guaranteed playing time, but we're the Yankees. We can afford it. Um, I think players do that. And you know, again, the, 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 this was not that uncommon of a role for the Yankees back when they were um, in the mid two thousands. Like I'm just going to bring up right now, the 2005 Yankee roster. And I remember there was a bunch of guys like this and, you know, they were all terrible at defense and they were all old. And I think some of them the Yankees traded for, um, you know, and so you don't even have to really, you know, ask for permission from players to do, to, um, uh, to do that. But I mean, this is a team where I'm looking at it. Tony Walmack got a hundred, got 351 plate appearances. Ruben Sierra hit, uh, got, uh, 61. Actually, let me look at, that's the 2005 team. Let me look at the 2004 team real quick as I stall to bring it up here. Um, yeah, so that team, you had Jason Giambi, who was part-time Ruben Sierra, who hit 17 home runs, Tony Clark, who hit 16 home runs. Um, you had John Olerud on that team, um, come in. Yeah, I think they trade for him mid season and he hit pretty well. Um, you had Enrique Wilson, who was on the team just to be Pedro, uh, Pedro Martinez. Um, it was, you had Kenny Lofton. God, Kenny Lofton was on that team. I mean, I mean that, that's the, the type of bench spot that I think you now have the ability to, um, uh, to hold. And, and that's why I like it. I mean, frankly, if I were major league commissioner, what I would do is I would either do the 26 man thing, or I would actually like find some way to mandate pitchers and hitters on a roster. Because I'm just, I just am tired of specialized bullpens. I, I don't think they're fun to watch. I think they're brilliant tactically, um, but I think there's a collective action problem here where if you didn't have, if you forced uh, teams to to carry five, you know, bench hitters and nine regular hitters, and that means what eleven players in the bullpen. I mean, that is, that is enough that you always have guys who are available and healthy, but you know, forces you to not carry guys who are super hyper specialized. Yeah, I think that might be where we're heading, too, because Ben Lindbergh actually wrote a really good article for The Ringer about how he thinks this World Series is getting, is basically lucky to have two teams with historically awful luck in the playoffs, because otherwise this postseason as a whole and this World Series have been bogged down by longer games. I think the average game is almost half an hour longer in the playoffs, and and it's not because it's a bunch of runs being scored. It's because there's a ton of pitching changes and mound visits, and you know the commercials play a role in that too. But this might be a problem that would have existed with another with other World Series teams, and I'm sure Major League Baseball recognizes that. So, yeah, I mean, limiting the size of the bullpen or the amount of pitching changes or I don't know the number of pitches that a pitcher has to throw. I like the injury. number of batters. I, I think um, Dave Cameron suggested this a, a few years ago, a few months ago, which was force pitchers to throw to at least two batters. That works. Unless too. there's an injury. 
And then you have to just have some sort of, I don't know, ramifications for a pitcher just saying, oh, I'm injured, and then pitching the next night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure they could police that. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe you require a DL stint or something if you pick take a player out after one, after one batter or whatever. Um, you know, I think another thing you could do is, I mean, the common complaint, the common reason other than specialized pitching to carry the extra pitcher is that we now know that pitchers get injured uh, by throwing too much. And so um, sometimes you carry the extra pitcher so, so that you don't, you know, tire out your, your bullpen. And I'm fine with, like, relaxing the option rules. So right now you have to send a player down for 10 days unless there's an injury in order to bring them up. And I think um, to bring them back up. And I think that I, I, I'm fine with, like, changing that to, like, seven or something along those lines. Just so you couldn't game it for, like, start by start. But you could, um, um, you know, you still would be able to, uh, you know, cycle your your triple your A guys back up if you need them. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of funny that, I mean, all I've been thinking since you sent me the uh, this article from MLB Trade Rumors about this is just that it kind of just protects the Yankees from themselves when the Yankees spent, because the Yankees have spent the last few seasons large amounts of time having basically a dead spot or two on the bench when Teixeira or McCann or Rodriguez was too hurt to play, but not hurt enough to risk, I guess, putting them on the 15-day DL. And having the extra spot just allows the Yankees to function with a standard bench that they deprive themselves of by not knowing what to do with these players with nagging injuries. Yeah, and yeah, I think um, I think it's just more fun to watch too. Like I, I I like the idea of managers having options in the late innings to do fun stuff, right? To pinch hit for a guy, to pinch run for a guy, to like you know put in Brett Gardner and do a squeeze play or something. Like that's that's what I that's baseball, and you know strikeouts already make it a little bit less fun to watch because there's less just less kinetic energy in baseball than there than there used to be. Um, but I think this is just one way to kind of adjust for that back. And yeah, there's strategy in pitching changes, but that's not fun strategy because it takes 10 minutes. Um, and I would much rather prefer, I would strongly prefer a, a, a um, trying to kind of say this. I think, I think it would be, I think shifting strategy toward the hitting side is something baseball should prioritize. It's the reason why people say National League Baseball is more fun. They don't say it because the pitcher has to bat, right? They say it because you have the extra flexibility to do the the cool managerial changes. Yeah, and, you know, I can... I really see both sides of that whole DH versus pitcher argument, which is what it really boils down to. But it's actually kind of funny you bring that up. I don't want to go too far on this tangent, but I've seen so many Cubs fans and Cubs writers and even players on the Cubs basically be like, thank Christ for that DH because we got (laughs) Kyle Schwarber back on the roster. And I'm just interested to see change in general in baseball because we've seen teams making changes that aren't really rule changes necessarily, you know, with the, the, the prominence of shifting now and teams getting more cognizant of the third time through the order problem with pitchers and just matchups, 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 really. But Major League Baseball hasn't really responded to any of this. And 
it seems as though Major League Baseball's trying to get a little bit more involved in things that affect the pace of the game, and I I just like change. <laughs> Are you okay? If you could get one rule change out of the CBA, what would it be? I know what mine is, but if you want, if you want to delay, I can I can tell you what mine is first. I mean, I would delay just because I don't really know. I don't have a go-to one. I want I want shifts. I, I want some kind of limitation in infield shifts because I think shifts are really boring. Um, I, I think I, I'm I'm basically ready to say I want lines that the position players have to stand between, at least on the infield. Um, the reason is is that I don't know about you. The reason why I hate shifts is because the, what's the most fun thing to watch in baseball, other than like a big home run, is like a really like athletic play in the infield. Um, you know, watch a shortstop go into the hole and, and make the throw. And infield shifts make that less likely because the players are already pre-positioned. That lowers your batting average and balls in place. So you have just have less run scoring in baseball in general, which I don't think is a great thing. Um, and it's only really recently counteracted by the juice ball. Uh, but I think more importantly is that is that um, you know it it makes it it makes it less likely that in any given inning I'm going to see a crazy play in the infield um, because very rarely do you get a crazy play where like a ball is hit in the hole to the second baseman playing you know on the outfield grass right that's not fun to watch um, and you very rarely get anybody really trying to like game the shift and beat it that way and so that that element's not there so you know I don't I I think shifting is undeniably a, a smart defensive thing to do and I get that like it is strategy and strategy is I guess good, but I don't see any reason not to like essentially put a catcher's box around all of the other position players. I, I could definitely get on board with that, especially because I think the strategic nature of shifting is more steeped in the limitations of the fielders than anything else because people keep citing a stat that the Cubs had the best infield defense despite shifting less often than other teams. That's kind of just a tracking error because the Cubs shift as much as anybody. They just don't shift to the other side of the base, which is what those tracking met those shifting metrics track because they have you know a, a who's who of athletic infielders between Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Javi Baez, Ben Zobrist and you know Anthony Rizzo who's a really good defensive first baseman and I kind of like the idea of eliminating shifts as they are when you see teams, you know, when you see the Yankees with Chase Headley playing shortstop, Dede Gregorius playing second base, and Starring Castro playing, you know, short right field. Um, but I, I I guess it's kind of lazy saying that that would be the, the best thing to switch, but I kind of always fall back to just bringing the DH to the National League because... I know there's more strategy ostensibly, but we don't see the sort of brilliant strategy that makes me say, thank God there's no DH, because you can still change your pitcher at any time. You could still pinch hit at any time. It's just you don't have to feel obligated to take a shitty hitter out of the lineup to bring in a pinch hitter and then make sure that you have the optimal batting order coming up by doing double switches if you just don't have that pitcher hitting in the first place. Yeah, I'm completely with you there. I, I think shifts are dumb. I, I think the, the the National League no DH plays is dumb. Pitchers, hitters aren't ever going to, pitchers are not ever going to be good at hitting. 
it's too specialized of a skill. They're getting worse over time. It's more painful to watch them. You know, we, we talk about like how great Madison Bumgarner is or, or, you know, how much fun it is to watch someone like Madison, Madison Bumgarner hit. And you know, people were calling for him to possibly be in the, in the, in the home run derby. Do you, do you want to guess what his career batting line is? I'm guessing his OPS is like at best in the sixes. 183, 231, 311 with a 542 OPS. <laughs> OPS plus of 50. He's terrible. He's not good at this. Like he's he's not Babe Ruth. He's not even um, oh god, what's his name? Who's on the uh, Jason Marquis, right? Like the the most notable hitter among pitchers in baseball still playing today is has a fifty OPS plus. There's no reason to watch that. Um, and so I think uh, you know, other than like Shan, you know uh, Otani coming over from from Japan, there's no pitcher I want to watch uh, at the plate other than to watch like Bartolo Colon be an idiot. I wouldn't even want to watch Shohei Otani hit because, really? you know, God forbid some other pitcher gets Chin Ming Wong. <laughs> you know, his career was basically ended by the injury he suffered running the bases. I don't know. I want to watch it. Because here's the thing. Like, he's, he might be a more valuable hitter than, than pitcher. Um, no, he's not. Not even close. I mean, he was the best hitter and pitcher in the, in the Japanese league this year. But his hitting relative to the league didn't stand out as much, and it was a smaller sample size where there was a fan graphs broke down all the numbers to show that he was a good hitter. I mean, even, even a great hitter, but not, not, um, as far ahead of the hitting curve as people think. All right. Let me amend that. Let me, let me say if he, he could potentially be the best player in baseball because he could be an ace, like a Tanaka like pitcher with a, um, with incredibly strong, or rather, with the best hit, the best hitting at his position by far, and I, I'd like to see him like play the outfield or play DH on, on days that he's not not pitching. Um, it's just I think I, I think that's a fun story, but he's he's notable because of how rare he is. Yeah. So I guess I guess we should move along a little bit because I really want to watch this game seven. Yeah, um, yeah I'm hanging up in uh, 24 minutes. Yeah, I'm actually going to skip. We were going to talk about revenue sharing and make fun of the athletics, but we'll skip that for now. Uh, just so we could talk about some Yankees shenanigans. Um, you want to talk about the small Bart market team in the middle of San Francisco, practically? Or, <laughs> the yeah. team that had revenue sharing pay for 40% of his payroll this year? No, we can skip that for now. Um, yeah, I, I heard that uh, Billy Butler hit Google with a home run ball in his small market team. <laughs> um Anyway, on October 28th, Baseball America dropped its uh, Yankees top 10 prospects list. Um, And the top 10, I'm going to go ahead and just say that it's mostly in line with my expectations. Uh, We're not going to go player by player because we'll have our own prospect content in terms of describing the players and whatnot. But the top 10 was Glaber Torres, Clint Frazier, Blake Rutherford, Jorge Mateo, James Caprielian, Aaron Judge, Justice Sheffield, Chance Adams, Dustin Fowler, Domingo Acevedo. I don't think anything stands out to me as particularly crazy or different or unexpected. I think Chance Adams is probably going to be the pitcher with the most variance. I want to say that Keith Law said that he's a reliever only. So I'm guessing Keith Law wouldn't have him 
anywhere near that on the Yankees list, considering he said the Yankees have the best farm system in baseball. Um, but other than him, I mean, maybe some interstitial movement. I mean, I know EJ and I debated Aaron Judge's placement last week. Blake Rutherford is kind of interesting just because he was just drafted, but I mean, it's, it's pretty much what I'd expect. I don't know about you, EJ. Yeah. I mean, I think the news here, I, I think Chance Adams at eight is news and that might be the highest he goes. You might have somebody, you might have like a Sickles or somebody going a little bit higher. A lot of people really like his stuff and he really had a very good season. I think the, to me, the, the biggest news is what's not here or really two things that aren't, aren't here. One is Dylan Tate is not here. Um, Dylan Tate was the number six overall draft pick in two years ago um, or number five overall. So the fact that he's not top 10 on a list, I think is a good thing or number four overall. Wow. Um, is, is a good thing for the Yankee system because, you know, a player with that much talent, you know, with flaws doesn't, doesn't crack the top 10. The other thing that's not there is there's no, there's no like toolsy, like rookie ball player there, which I love because those players never work out. Um, yeah, every year, you know, and Norris isn't as bad as some of the other guys at BA, but you know, baseball America will, will pick out a, a Wilkerman Garcia or a, uh, Ravel Santana or someone like that who like is, you know, is, you know, is a five tool, 18 year old, usually Latin American player who has played like no organized baseball, um, you know, at least in the United States and, uh, they flame out before they hit like high A. Um, I'm glad that, that, that you can construct a top 10 list and not have to resort to any of those like, you know, dreamy guys. Um, and you know, you get to have, you get, you have a top 10 list where the number 10 player is Domingo Acevedo, who not only just had a really good season, but throws a hundred miles an hour. And it's not, is like in high A, I believe right now, or just finished high A. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a guy that. Really off the top of my head, I am um, actually leading the uh, fake team's top 10 prospect list per team. And that's based on fantasy baseball more so than anything. But I can tell you from starting those lists already that Domingo Acevedo would be in the top three for a lot of teams. I mean, the Baltimore Orioles, he might be their best prospect. Um, the Angels, he might be their best prospect. The Marlins, he might be their best prospect though I don't I haven't started the Marlins yet but that's that's their 10th guy and um there's two short short points I want to make um about one player and then about the top 10 as a whole one is that um I was reading MLB.com's prospect pipeline and you know we were we were looking for comps for Blake Rutherford Mm -hmm. a week ago he was comped to a more athletic David Justice. Wow. And David Justice, for those of you who don't know, um, aside from his tenure in the Yankees, was very good for a long time. You're talking about a guy who was a 279 career hitter, I think. I think he had around a 120 OPS plus for his career. And a 129 OPS plus for his career. His career slash line... 279, 378, 500. He averaged 31 home runs and five stolen bases per 162 games for his career. If Blake Rutherford's ceiling is a more athletic version of that... That plus defense. Yeah. That's that's an all-star candidate. That's an MVP candidate. 
I, I mean, we, we kind of talked about this last last week, and I, I wrote a little bit more about it this week, but the Blake Rutherford, um, John Sickles had Blake Rutherford as the number one draftee, um, among, uh, the number one prospect among 2016 draftees, which, mean, which is him saying is if he were redrafting the first round of the 2016 draft, the Yankees would have selected the number one pick. That's pretty awesome. Um, I, I, I think, you know, we, we, I don't want to be a dead horse cause we've already talked about him, but this is a very, very special prospect and he's one of the best prospects that the Yankees have had from the draft in a long time. Yeah. And we'll talk about him more as, um, as the off season goes on, but I, I saw that David justice comp and I just, I had to share it just because it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and that's actual scouts, you know, that's, that's not fans like us just looking at a stat line and saying this guy looks like this or hearing something not knowing where it's from and just repeating it. Um, and the other thing was uh, the day the list dropped, Josh Norris, the writer, had a chat and the first question he answered was how many of these guys are likely to make the Baseball America Top 100? He gave the obvious caveat that they don't do their Top 100 until later in the winter, blah, blah, blah. But he said he could very easily see numbers one through eight in the system making the top hundred. That is getting us back to the whole Royals farm system that they said was the greatest ever seven years ago or whenever it was. That's that's kind of incredible, especially considering these just these aren't just the players that they traded for at the deadline either. You know, that would mean on their own accord, draftees Rutherford, Caprielli, and Judge and Adams and Latin American signing Jorge Mateo are top hundred prospects. So the Yankees amateur scouting is doing well and their pro scouting is doing well. And that's, that's just such a great sign. And it makes me very excited for the future. And, and you know, if you, if you look back in history at like the, the baseball America top talent teams, um, you see like a, a very, very, um, they're prescient, right? Like you can, you can draw a pretty direct line between a, a team that you know, is top five in major league talent and then putting together a really good young core, right? The Los Angeles Dodgers were that team, you know, three in the late two thousands. And then they put together that great young core. The Texas Rangers were that team about three or four years ago. And now they're absolutely stacked. The pirates were that team at one point, the Cardinals were that team at one point, the Cubs, the are Cubs that team. this year, the, the Cubs were the, were that team this year. Um, you know, I, I, the, um, you know, even a team like the Seattle Mariners were, I think, number two a couple of years ago, and you know, this season they're really they're really seeing the benefit from that. So, like, this is, you know, you look at a lot of times people criticize prospect lists because this one prospect fails, or we all thought Phil Hughes was better than he than he was. Though I'll point out, Phil Hughes has had like a ten year major league career at this point, as has Ian Kennedy. Um, but you know, the you know, you criticize those individual. Um, things, but the, the, it's a stochastic process, right? Each individual prospect has some probability that's quite large of failing or of just not being very good, and some probability of being a real contributor on a championship team. The by having the the, the reason why having a a high farm farm system ranking is better than having a bunch of top prospects um, is that the system ranking you know gives you many many rolls of those dice, and if uh, you don't need that many rolls to come out come up sixes, whatever metaphor you want to use, um, in order to um, put together a, a farm system that could win a championship. So you know the Yankees have 
15 or 20 guys who are really good and really talented, and they're going to roll a bunch of dice on those guys, and odds are they're going to put together a really good team. And building off that same note in the same chat, uh, Josh Norris was asked about whether or not the Yankees have a top five system in the game, and he responded that, I think there's a very good argument that it is the number one system in the game. So it's not just these top eight guys. It's like EJ said, it's the seven or 12 after them. It's the 30 and 40 and 50 after them that are in, you know, scattered throughout the minors. This is a deep, deep farm system complemented by a team that's getting younger. And, you know, this is, this is the sort of thing that helps me sleep at night when the Yankees are at home in the playoffs. Well, I'm, I'm glad that baseball keeps you awake at night, Dominic. It does. Does it not keep you up at night? No, no. As soon as the game is over, I'm, 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 I'm moving on to my audiobooks. <laughs> um, so I guess the last, the last little point of discussion is something that we've discussed in circles a little bit. Um, and that's potential trade targets for the Yankees. And I don't want to just pull some out of, you know, my backside. Um, but EJ said last week that he thinks it's more likely if they make a big move, it'll be a trade and not a free agent signing aside from Araldis Chapman and or Kenley Jansen. Um, and this week, Buster Olney of ESPN wrote, uh, an article about how the Tigers might be having a fire sale, um, which doesn't really jibe with them. Their owner, Mike Illich, who's 197 years old and, is dying to win a championship, probably literally, has been very hesitant to trade off stars, but if the Tigers are making moves, could there be anybody the Yankees should really target? You know, if it's a real fire sale, are there any high-end guys they could get? Are there any young guys nearing the end of the team control that they could target that the Tigers might not view as building blocks? And I do think there are some interesting fits even ignoring the guys that are, you know, the short-term gratification types. Um, the first player I thought of who has team control for three more seasons, who the Tigers were allegedly shopping uh, even this trade deadline before he got hurt, is a third baseman, Nick Castellanos, who was a top prospect and kind of struggled to find his footing for his first two years as the Tigers bounced him between left field and third base and right field and third base. Um, but he had a good year this year, aside from his injuries. He had 285, 331, 496 with 18 home runs and uh, just 447 plate appearances. That's a 122 OPS+. Plus. He's He was a bad <laughs> defensive uh, third baseman. Um, he's improved there to some degree, and he was, a, he was pretty solid in the corner outfield. I think he would be the type of player who, if the Tigers don't view him as a building block and they'd be willing to move a player who's going to be only 25 on opening day, I'd be interested in the Yankees kind of looking into him. I don't know. I mean, he, he had a high up this year. Um, it came down a little bit toward the end of the season, but I mean, he's, um, you know, his best case scenario was a 120 WRC plus with uh, with bad defense, and that's with the the inflated BABIP. I mean, I he strikes out a lot. He doesn't really take a lot of walks, though. Again, that also kind of improved as the, as the season went on. I I'm not 
I'm not like bending over backwards to get him. I think I think if a team trades for Castellanos, I think they will probably regret it. I think he's kind of in that mold of Didi Gregorius, Starling Castro, Nadia Avaldi, Michael Pineda. Well, Pineda wasn't really there. Of prospects who have been up and down as young players, good prospects that were up and down as young players. I agree that that's his value, but is that his price? I'm not sure because the Tigers were shopping him to try to improve their roster when they had a shot at the playoffs this year. And I know the Tigers do weird things with signings and trades. So he's the player. He's the first player I'd ask about at the very least, unless you think that they're going to trade somebody like, you know, Daniel Norris, who JD Martinez, JD Martinez is another interesting guy. He's older. Um, he's almost like a like a fantasy owner would have called him a post-type sleeper because um, he was absolutely atrocious for his first two full seasons, got hurt a lot, was up and down a lot, and then he left Houston for Detroit and turned into one of the best corner outfielders in baseball. Um, so here's, here's my J.D. Martinez story. So back when he wasn't good, um, he came through the um, he came through with Houston back when Houston wasn't good to uh, to Washington and I was living in DC at the time and a bunch of my friends we, we always used to love to, to to buy these relatively cheap seats out in uh, out in left field and a friend of mine who decided to create a persona called the factual heckler and all he would do is he would yell at the the left fielder just like like his own statistics so like he would yell at him at, at him like. Uh, you were drafted like 842nd overall last year. Good <laughs> job, buddy. Um, or like, don't worry, you know, you're not going to get cut from this team, even though you're hitting, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, and he would come, he would come to to the ballpark with like, with like, like no cards, just like filled with this stuff. Um, and uh, and so we were, we were him, and eventually like a lot of the section was yelling at the, you know, all, all the stuff at JD Martinez and like JD Martinez was like visibly uncomfortable out there. And he struck out like four times that day. And he, <laughs> he tweets out like an hour after, after the game, like a oh, rough day out in left field today. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, and then, so that, that's it. the next season I then drafted him in our fantasy baseball league. And everybody laughed at me because I drafted him in like the seventh round and motherfucker hit like 38 home runs. So, you know, um, <laughs> So I was very happy about that, uh, even though uh, I, I do miss the days of the Factual Heckler. I believe the Twitter account still exists, at, at Factual Heckler. If anyone wants to go, go, go there and see him. I think, I mean, J.D. Martinez is the guy that I think you'd have to pay a premium for. Um, and he's also only under team control through the end of next season. So, you know, he's a guy that you get if you think the Yankees are um, contending next year. Unless you think they can get him and extend him, yeah, yeah, I think um, I, I, if you end up trading a prospect or two for JD Martinez, and I really wouldn't, I don't think the Yankees are very good next year, so I, I, I'm not sure I would do it. But um, at least you have the qualifying offer, um, where you can make up some of that value back with uh, with a draft pick. Yeah, I mean, looking at the team of players that I think they might trade, I think the most obvious guy, and I, I went back and forth on this internally since we made the agenda for tonight. Um, is Justin Upton, who I've liked for a really long time. He was really bad on the whole this year. He really struggled in his first few months. Um, and he's owed 
a lot of money and he can opt out after next year. So there's just like a million caveats with him. It's almost like the Tanaka scenario that we've talked about a few times. You know, best case scenario doesn't really exist. If he's really good next year, he's opting out and hitting the market again. If he's bad again, you owe him $90 million for the next four, over the next four years. But he's the guy that I think the Tigers might flip for kind of just salary relief and losing a headache of somebody they perceive as a bad signing. But he was basically the Justin Upton of old from uh, from June forward. So he's a buy low guy. That he's, he's the buy low guy. He's the expensive guy that I'd think about the Yankees wanting to pursue. Castellanos is the young guy that I think they could move that I'd be interested in pursuing. But excuse me, outside of them... I don't really know. I mean, I don't want Cabrera. <laughs> I don't want Verlander. I don't want uh, Victor Verlander's Martinez. Interesting. Excuse me? Verlander's interesting. Um, I mean, so Justin Verlander was was one of the best pitchers in the American League last year. Um, and He's especially, you know, he, got, he got stronger as the season went on. Um, you know, his, his contract isn't that bad, right? I mean, he's under contract for, was it? Uh, Three years and then there's a vesting option in the fourth. Yeah, but the vesting options are really one that doesn't probably isn't going to vest if, if the Yankees wouldn't want to vest. So it vests if he finishes top five in the 2019 Cy Young Award vote. So it's three more years. It's an expensive three years at $28 million. But, you know, I take him on my team. I mean, he's he, he the guy could win the Cy Young next year. I, I think that's entirely possible. And he's probably not untradeable if, he, you know, if, if he's not terrible. And worst case scenario, he's gone in three years. See, I just, I just think the Yankees are still trying to keep payroll low relative to what the Yankees are capable of paying, and having $28 million locked into a pitcher who's going to be 34 when opening day rolls around, who missed time in 2015 with injuries, and had that kind of stretch where he was looking scary like Sabathia, though Sabathia largely reversed the course of the season. Just It just worries me. I mean, I would definitely take him before I would take Miguel Cabrera, because I'm pretty sure Miguel Cabrera signed through, what, like 21-38 or something? Um, but I wouldn't feel great about it. Yeah, Cabrera, who's the first player I saw mentioned, um, is signed through 2023. And then he has vesting options in 2024 and 2025, which I kind of even can't comprehend as years. He's owed $28 million next year, $30 million a year from 2018 through 2021, and then $32 million a year in 2022 and 2023, his age 39 and age 40 seasons. Yeah, that contract was just stupid. I mean that that is – there's no I, – I love Miguel Cabrera. There's, he's not – yeah, I mean, he's still one of the best hitters in the game, but... You're... But he's still only a five-win player, right? Yeah, because like, he's yeah, limited yeah. to first base, and he's... And he's not good at that, yeah. And he's um, 34 in April of next year, and he's kind of a great big fat guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, he, he's the best of the fat guys, but, uh, you know, I don't... I wouldn't touch that contract. I wouldn't even trade, that like, Jacoby Ellsbury for that contract. I might um, trade Jacoby Ellsbury for that contract, just because I have been... I kind of hate Jacoby Ellsbury and what he represents. So having him off the Yankees would be great in my mind, but I, I'd instantly regret it, I'm sure. Okay, if Donald Trump was elected to two terms, he will still be, uh, Miguel Cabrera will still be under contract at the end of Donald Trump's second term. See, but that's, that's incorrect because 
if Donald Trump is elected as president, there won't be Major League Baseball because the apocalypse will have happened. I, I'm going to give it like a 30% chance of the apocalypse happening. I was, I was actually discussing this conditional probability with someone today, um, with other political scientists today. Um, but I think the uh, um, it is an impossibly long contract. No, right? no, I, I, mean, I definitely agree. And I... I wouldn't trade Jacoby Ellsbury for him even straight up just because, you know, you do, I don't want to be paying $60 million to a guy in his age 39 and 40 seasons, even I mean, if con- he's the breaker of chains. That contract will go down as the worst contract ever signed, as far as I'm concerned. Not because, you know, maybe... Know, maybe Albert Pujols is probably going to be worse. I mean, Pujols will be pretty damn bad. Um, but, I mean, the, the, the Tigers didn't have to sign it. That's what kills me, right? Like they they signed it with him with like well, after he's coming off Verlander the triple crown season, right? And and they they these guys weren't free agents for years, and then they gave him you know they gave him Cabrera what was it like two hundred fifty million dollars, you know that in a contract that wouldn't start for three years, like they could have they could have like ridden that horse and just just like just pony expressed him to the inch of his life, and then he becomes a free agent after his thirty one season. And maybe he signs a big contract somewhere. Maybe he doesn't, but they get to be rid of, rid of him. Um, it, it, it was, I mean, the only the only thing I'll say is Mike Illich probably doesn't care um, because he's a billionaire owner and he just wants to see a World Series and doesn't really care about making money. So in that sense, it's probably not a bad contract, but just like the terms of the contract themselves were just colossally stupid. No, no, I agree. I just, it's it's hard for me to, even with those circumstances, because of how starkly Albert Pujols has fallen off, I mean, who knows? You you give Cabrera those couple years, maybe it'll look worse. But right now, I'm pretty comfortable saying Pujols is the worst and letting it all go from there. And I, I think Pujols has taken the reins from Rodriguez, who was probably the worst before Pujols. Yeah, I mean, Pujols' contract is, I mean, it's bad. And they, they never even really got a great season out of Pujols. No, he never had an Albert Pujols season for them. Yeah, and it's too bad because Albert Pujols was so good before that contract. But, I mean, the at least I give them, like, they signed a, they signed a free agent to a market rate contract. And I'm kind of okay with that. Um, I just I just think it's inexcusable that the Marlins, I'm sorry, the Marlins, the, the, um, the Tigers extended um, Cabrera under those circumstances. That actually reminds me, and we're going to go after this point just because Game Seven starting momentarily. Oh, shoot, um, yes. We're forgetting about Ryan Howard's contract. Oh, was yeah. Extended under similar circumstances. At oh, least that it wasn't was real fucking dumb. At least it wasn't as long term of a deal. But he but also wasn't as good. Like Ryan like, Howard was never on the level. Uh, I mean, he was maybe on the level of Pujols and Cabrera for one season if you squint really hard but it wasn't the season he signed the extension after the following season when he wasn't nearly as good and and it's also it was a very predictable predictable decline like the guy who leads the the majors in strikeouts and is you know is one of the fat guys and is in the national league where he has to play the field and can't hit lefties yeah oh my god that guy had a bad end of his career like i mean no one no one is surprised that 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 happened to, to ryan howard um, and even his best season was a 5.2 war season. That's yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, it is, um, you know, the Phillies made a lot of smart decisions in the mid 2000s. That was not one of them. <laughs> but on that note, we got some game seven to watch. Whenever listening, it'll be over. Go tribe. Yeah. Let's go tribe. Have a good night, everybody. 
At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.